0: Hey, listeners, we're back with some fresh perspectives in securities finance. Where the street comes for some good stock loan information and a few laughs.
1: And where beneficial owners come to learn. This is e Insights. Let's get over to our episode. So Jim just messaged me, as I said, are you joining for this? And he said, now? I thought it was 3 p.m. I'm coming. And I'm like, I haven't said it's this three to him, years, but isn't it? <laughs> that's exactly, so it's I got to give him a hard time here in a second. Did you listen to our podcast that we put out this week?
2: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And I say that you can say happy new year until the end of January,
1: uh, at least. Geez. No, don't like, do You can't have us. this
2: five minute window of happy new year. And if you don't see someone within the, like the first two days, you can't say it. <laughs> that's just Ugh. ridiculous that. And I know that Jim loves it. So June, I'm going to be wishing him a happy new year. I'm going to look up the dates for Chinese New Year. I'm going to look up all the different events through the year. And I'm just going to phone him and I'm going to wish
0: him a happy whatever's going on. I just had a call with a broker. So we're catching up. And I hadn't talked to him in a while. He said, hey, yeah, I just want to say happy new year, Jim. Can I say that? And I said, yeah, I guess you can. I haven't talked to you. And he goes, no, man, I'm just talking about your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, my friend Brooke will love the fact that you are commenting. He goes, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. You can say it whenever you want. (laughs) (laughs) See, a of sense.
1: We haven't spoken with you in a little while, Mr. Chessum, And to our listeners, if you don't recognize the third voice in the party here, it is Matt Chessum with S&P Global Market Intelligence Thank you, Matt, for joining. But Matt, I don't want to talk business yet. I want to talk about, because I do believe you're a regular listener. And if you listen to Jim and I talking in December, when we went back through what was called our Spotify wrapped and highlighted those podcasts that got the most listens and every single one of the top were the ones you featured on Mr. Chessum. So I want to understand what's behind this. Jim thinks you are more of a global personality than perhaps uh-huh. we are he thinks that that's also perhaps it's pulling the broad distribution of markets for the listeners, but is it just, are you listening over and over again? Do you have a giant family? Like are your friends at S and P avid podcast listeners? Like what's going on?
2: I think I like Jim's description better than yours, to be honest. (laughs) But yeah, no, I have asked my kids to keep it on loop for 48 (laughs) hours.
1: Exactly. (laughs) That's their uh, punishment.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Come and learn about stock lending. You'll love it. All they want to do is watch YouTube. And there's one video of me and Roy Zimmerhansel on there doing a review. And I keep asking them to watch it and telling them that I'm a YouTube star, but they're not loving it, to be honest.
1: Yeah. Tell them (laughs) to give dad five stars. (laughs) They're not going
2: to believe you because it's you saying it. Oh, yeah, hit the subscribe right. button so we could get some dollars and get a Bugatti right. like everybody else.
1: Right, Jim and I were talking this week. We think, and I don't know that Craig listens because, just to be clear, we do have a sponsor of our podcast. And I've been threatening Jim that I might start bringing him on to do some advertisements, a la Ryan Reynolds style. <laughs> Jim and I have been joking that we think we could do a side hustle. We think that there could be big money in podcasting.
0: There is big money in podcasting. The question is, is there big money for us in podcasting? Right. Well, so.
1: maybe if we attach ourselves to Matt Chessum. That's what I'm trying to get at that's here. That's
0: what I was gonna say.
2: You know, talk to my agent on the secretary and we are negotiate some <laughs> fees. <laughs> it's gonna take us global, Matt. Indeed.
1: So you track data, you track trends. We have been talking about trends, maybe a little less on the data in some of our past podcasts. I know you both tune into that, but you also have produced, I think you guys have already come out with quite a bit on Q4 and doing a little bit of a snapshot summary on 2023 in general. Where do you want to start? Do you want to give us your uh, highlights and then challenge and question along the way?
2: So, yeah, I mean, the Q4 2023 review is available on the website to download. But let's start at the top. Let's look at 2023 because it was another banner year and everybody's going to yawn and shout because that's what usually happens because of the distribution of the revenues. And I know the market in general, we see that it generated 12.8 billion in revenues over 2023, and that's 3% increase on 2022. But the thing about the revenues that were generated last year was the dispersion was very low. So it was all about fixed income lending and it was about US specials. And when you look at the top 10 equity specials from the year and some of the revenues that they produced, I mean, some of them were mammoth. I mean, AMC must be the biggest revenue generator or one of the biggest revenue generators of all time. I mean, we see it pulling in $661 million in revenues last year. And what is interesting is if you took AMC out of the annual revenues, then the annual revenues would be slightly below what was generated in 2022. So AMC was a massive component of last year, and it really was one of the driving forces through another year of banner revenues since 2008. But saying that the specials i wouldn't like to say widespread but they weren't as narrow as perhaps you might think we had some corporate activity chemview johnson and johnson trade that was a big one from last year some of the names on this list i can't believe that they're still on there i mean gamestop still generated 96 million dollars worth of revenues last year i mean that's the gift that keeps on giving that was covid if anybody can remember pre-covid that's a ongoing strong revenue generating special so like i say Last year, it was about specials activity. Dispersion of revenues will be different across beneficial owners and possibly across lending agents as well. But fixed income lending, I mean, wow, what a year for fixed income lending. You've got corporate bonds that generated exceptionally strong returns because of the interest rate environment and then government bonds on top of that as well. Average fees were incredible. Average fee for corporate bonds last year, 42 basis points. That's massive.
1: Yeah. I have a question on AMC that is maybe going to throw you for a loop because you might not have the data on the tip of your fingers. But do you have a sense of if we were to look over, I don't know, let's say a 10 year history in sec lending specials revenue, would AMC be number one, number two? Like, are there only a few at that size? How outsized is AMC in terms of, you know, broad based historical specials? I guess is what I'm getting at. I know there are other examples over a 10 plus year history, but How few of them are there at that contribution level?
2: I mean, my guess, you know, Jim's a little bit longer in the tooth in securities lending than me. I would like to suggest, but, you know, (laughs) I can see him wincing a little bit. So I don't want to be too rude on your podcast. But in my experience, take last year, for example, Lucid Group was the highest revenue generating stock of the year. $220 million. This year, AMC 661. So you can see even the discrepancy between the top revenue generating stock is
0: $440 million. Yeah. yeah.
1: Jim, what do you think? Is it sort of like one of three or four at the
0: I, most? First, I think Matt and I are pretty close in age. I just want, for the record, let's get that out there. <laughs> you wear a hairline I, I, as well. Look at your I hair today. I don't think you are, just to be clear. <laughs> nobody I think there's nobody said, hey, between. Brooke, what do you think? Nobody said, hey, Brooke, what do you think? <laughs> Um, hey, I, I actually I said, think
1: I might even sit in the middle of you two, just to be clear. Yeah.
0: Matt's got all the data, so I can speak just kind of directionally. I think it's probably one of the top three or four of all time. And to me, using Lucid as an example, Lucid's a small cap negative cash flow company that's heavily shorted, but AMC was a conversion trade of a large cap. AMC converted with its pref line. So it's really a corporate event type driven thing. There were directional outright shorts, but the total revenue is inclusive of both those trades. So if you stripped out the corporate action of that conversion trade long and short, those two pieces of AMC, you'd probably see a number that's more in line with a lucid. But the only other trade I can think of in that scale, J&J could have been in that scale just because of the float of J&J, but dynamics of that trade and the size of the ability to hedge on the Kenview side created a smaller trade than the market wanted and balance sheet constraints. It was so expensive to put on that a lot of brokers couldn't put it on in size. They had counterparty and credit issues as well as balance sheet issues. So the only one I can think of is Citigroup back when tier one was, it's comparable I guess, to the AMC conversion trade where City was also a conversion trade. They were asking preferred holders to convert into common holders so that they could increase their tier one capital. And this is, I can't remember the date. I want to say back towards the crisis, kind of 07 or after, so maybe 09, 2010 might've been City. I bet you that because of the size of the float on Citi, I bet you they generated gross revenues higher than AMC. But I can't think of many other. And to get to that level, it has to be event-driven in some way. It has to be some sort of special situation. It could be something historically like Vivendi, which was a tax arbitrate. Different ways that you can get there, but it's one of the tops that I can remember. And I am long in the tooth. just don't have a good memory.
2: The 2003 story is the good news of the podcast. 2023. Sorry, 2023.
1: So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that just proves that you're longer in the tooth than Jim, just to be clear. Lost <laughs>
2: two decades for you, Matt. <laughs> oh, geez. It's late here. Right. So 2023 revenues, that's the good news story of the podcast, right? So yeah. revenues were up pretty much across the board, apart from Emir and ETFs. Average fees up across the board, everywhere apart from ETFs. Balances remained pretty robust comparison to where they could have been, given some of the volatility that we saw. But heading into Q4, Q4 was a bit of a mirror image of Q3, but a little bit worse, to be honest. So, not much happened in Q3. What you could see was that average fees started to trend lower. Balances were pretty stable. But what happened was the end of Q3, the beginning of Q4, when there was the massive market sell off. Obviously, valuations declined. And I think there was a bit of panic in the markets. There was a bit of money that came out. And then when everything ramped up again, I think there was a bit of short covering because we saw balances come off and yeah. we saw average fees declined, complete lack of conviction. In EMEA equities, there was nothing that happened. Revenues were down 47%. EMEA equities has had really two dreadful quarters And there's very few bright spots to be seen across all of the markets as well. It's not like it's just the big markets. So Sweden, France, Germany, UK, perhaps it's just across the board. So in mere equities, there's absolutely nothing happening. Situation is pretty dreadful. 8% decline in America's equities revenues. But because you've got some of those massive specials coming off, I don't think 8% is actually too bad, to be honest. But I suppose... The news story, again, is that when we say that revenues were really driven in 2023 as a whole by U.S. equities, Asia-Pacific equities as well in the second half of the year, they started to improve. And then the fixed income assets, well, fixed income balances are declining and average fees are declining as well as the interest rate narrative changes. We've hit peak rates. Everybody's positioning for cuts. You know, there seems to be less demand for certain issues, which is bringing down average fees. So I think Q1 is probably going to be a little bit tricky unless there's a corporate event or there's some IPO action, given that equity markets are rallying once again, or they did up until the end of December and now they come off slightly. You know if valuations are higher, that might encourage a little bit more IPO activity, which might encourage more deals. But I think, in my experience, unless there is a bit of a market event or more market volatility, I think Q1 is going to be a bit of a mirror image of Q4, to be honest. I think once we see some movement on interest rates, or we get some more economic data points coming through, or investors start reacting to high valuations and everything else, and there is a little bit more corporate activity, I think revenues are going to come off. But that's off the back of two stellar years as well. So when we look at this. We have to keep it in context that revenues have been so high and the market's been performing really well, even though not everybody has felt it to the same degree. So, you know, a small decline in revenues or an average decline in revenues might not feel great, but actually
0: it's not going to be terrible. I'm slightly more optimistic for Q1. One of the data points, and I'm not sure if you track this, Matt, or not, but probably easily could. It's kind of trending lending fee data. At a QSIP level, you mentioned IPOs. There were a number of IPOs in the U.S. that came in October and November. Birkenstock, Instacart are kind of two that come to mind. There's one more, two, that's in play. And their lockup periods are March and April. And so typically, we see those rates begin to rise halfway through that period and steadily increase, sometimes jumping. I don't think they replace the two deal names last year that rolled off in August. And that's why we saw that big gap. I agree with you, down 8% for the year is probably not bad given how soft the back half was on a relative basis after those two names rolled off. But we might see IPO on the issuance and the window for issuance has been open. So we might see those lockup trades. We're already just in the beginning of this year, starting to see locates on those names and people willing to pay a little bit higher already. And so there's still three to four months left in most of those lockups. So it could be interesting.
2: Well, I definitely think like a uh, U.S. equity is going to be where the action is in the equity markets. I mean, APAC region as well It is really what you saw during Q4 was it was a region of divergence. You tended to find because of the weakness of the Chinese economy and some of the data that was coming through there, along with the weakness in the property sector and some of the fear that that was bringing to investors. Hong Kong was struggling. Any of the Southeast Asian markets were struggling. But then you had Japan, you had Taiwan, you had South Korea that were absolutely on fire. Yeah. i mean south korea was doing fantastically well when the short selling ban came in you could keep the shorts on but you couldn't put any additional shorts out there so we saw yeah. that short activity and the revenues were still holding up but they have started to decline but still taiwan i mean if you look at some of the stats around taiwan it's pretty incredible i mean lendable year on year has grown 90 percent
0: yeah yeah i think there were new entrants to the market and so if you have the data in front of you don't want to put you on the spot but How do you see that market reacting to that new supply? Is the market absorbing that supply, do you think? or
1: Yeah, because
0: because revenues are up by 16%.
1: These
2: are the Q4 numbers, right? So when I'm talking percentage, it's year on year. So revenues up 16%, balances up 21%, average fees up 5% to 242 basis points, lendable up 90%, but utilization is obviously down because you've got so much more lendable. So, yeah, it looks like it's being absorbed. So that's an obvious opportunity for lenders. I know it's a little bit more complicated to actually lend in that market because of the pre-sale notification and everything else. But, you know, there are some very bright spots in Asia, such as South Korea, Taiwan, Japan. I mean, given the rise of the Nikkei over there, I think it was like a 33-year high I was reading earlier. But it's still generating some really strong returns. So Asia Pacific is quite an interesting region at the moment because you've got those markets that are doing particularly well. But then you've got Australia revenues down 43 percent, balances down 18 percent, average fees down 31 percent. And you've got Hong Kong revenues down 14 percent, balances down 22 percent. Average fees are up 12 percent, but that's because it's only really specials activity that's going out the door. So it's an interesting region, I think, as the economic data flows through. And I think if we see some improvement in Chinese economy and everything else, then I think that will perhaps brighten everybody's spirits across yeah. Asia. And I think we'll see a lot more demand because Q2 and Q3 were particularly good for the APAC region. It yeah. was just Q4 that we started to see that divergence. But like I said to you before, I mean, I don't know what you're seeing, Jim, but across the Emir it's pretty dismal. To be honest, complete lack of activity. When I write these commentaries, I try and find something to be excited about. But in Emir, I just struggle. I mean, no offence to anybody who's Greek, but I mean, I was writing about Greek revenues being up (laughs) 35% or something. I couldn't find any other points to hang on to, unfortunately, across EMIR.
1: I think that you and Mark Wilson have been commiserating together or at least sharing notes because we had our, I know that you, Matt, no longer tune into our huddles, but we had one this week and Wilson had very similar commentary that you just provided, which is hardly anything is going on in Europe and his bright spot for the year is definitely highlighting Taiwan in a similar way. So give him a call. You guys can share notes and commiserate further.
0: I would say on the equity side, I think he used the word dead to describe Western and Eastern Europe equity lending. To me, the bright side might be emerging market bonds in that region, at least if I'm thinking about it from where the demand comes from. Most of the tickets we print in that region now seem to be fixed income emerging market government debt that trades out of Euroclear is most of what we're seeing for a demand perspective and that just as you alluded to earlier it falls under both corps and governments i think just the way it trades and it's been nothing but growth there we don't have enough supply i think to fully capture that but supply seems to be growing in that space and demand certainly is growing so that might be something that could be the story of 2024 depending on where interest rates take us
2: well if we're talking about stories for 2024 my two predictions is anything cash reinvestment, if interest rates come down, then I think that there could mm-hmm. be some good returns to be made there. And ETFs have been struggling last year. They did phenomenally well because there was a lot of demand for HYG and LQD and the IBOX investment grade and high yield ETFs, ARK investment, anything that was kind of tech-related, QQQ and all that sort of stuff. But it's got to be Bitcoin ETF. Yeah,
0: That's got yeah, to yeah.
2: start flowing into the stock lending data soon. So I'm excited to see what's happening there.
0: Had many locates today on the first day of trading for those 10 or 12 ETFs. So I agree with you. I think over time, that's going to be the new sector. We have electric vehicles. We have biotech technology broadly as sectors that are well shorted. You can put Bitcoin right up there on the ETF space. Jim
1: was even telling me yesterday that he is maybe passively contemplating, Jim, evaluating an electric vehicle for yourself, for your family.
0: (laughs) I am. I am looking at it. Yeah, I love them. So- I, I would love, where...
1: speaking of Lucid, I don't know if you've seen those cars, but they are super cool. Yeah. So that's my new interest area.
0: Yep. Looking at them last night, but companies still are good shorts, negative cash flow for now. A couple of yeah, them. Yeah, anyway. why?
1: Well, I mean, the UV
2: FET sector is again one of the big stories of 2023, to be honest. And there's so many shorts. If you look across ADRs, all of the top ADRs pretty much apart from posco and i mean even EcoPro. i don't think it's directly an ev stock but i think they produce parts for batteries for ev cars i mean if all of the ev stocks lucid group polestar xpeng all of those sorts of stocks they were all incredibly special and that's really what pushed up adr revenues over the year as well like there was a lot of interest in there but interestingly if you look at the q4 figures holdings actually popped into one of the highest revenue generating adr that's something that we hadn't seen
1: Outside of data and how the market trades, what are you all at S&P focused on in terms of other topical areas for 2024?
2: Yeah, so there's a number of bits and pieces. So the company is now fully merged. So IHS and S&P Global. And I mean, it's amazing to see all of the different data sets that exist. We have data on data on data on data and data. And to be honest, it takes a little bit of time to work out what is complementary, what's going to help, what's going to enhance some of the signals in some of the data sets that we already have. So I think we spent a lot of last year looking at what was available, looking to see what would work and trying to bring data sets together through collaboration with other teams to try and build some meaningful data points. So this year, I think that you're going to see more data points available in the portal We're hoping to release some ESG scores, some additional public disclosure information, investor flow data, swap data. And we're looking to expand the intraday analytics capabilities that we have as well. And I think they're going to be really powerful tools for anybody who trades on the street, right? Like, I know that I always used to complain that when I was a beneficial owner, I was looking at the securities lending data which other part of financial markets used to rely on data that was 48 hours stale apart from the securities lending market. So this push into intraday data and looking at all of the different data points that can be provided on an intraday basis, not just re-rates, new loans, recalls, but you're looking about stability of supply and other bits and pieces. I think all of this is really going to make the market a lot more dynamic and We don't just have the data for securities lending. Repo data analytics, that's really a growing product at the moment. There's a lot more data available in there. We're looking at working with other data sets within the organization to start making rate curves, pulling in different bits and pieces to make the data more intuitive and to make it provide better coverage across ISINs as well. Our onboarding accelerator tool, ETF collateral lists. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, to be honest. There's lots of good stuff that we're working on, and there's lots of good data points and solutions that we have to offer.
0: When are you going to have data around AI that tells us what's going to be a good short tomorrow?
2: We actually use AI for some of the short squeeze analytics that we provide in the portal as well and the beauty of that is that whilst it's used i'm not too sure that at this point in time the result is any better than perhaps using the logarithmic calculations that were used before but the brilliant thing about ai is that give it six months time once it's learned what's happening it'll be better than it is now give it a year's time it'll be twice as good etc 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 so the sooner you start with that sort of stuff the better it's going to be in the future because the more information it ingests, the better results it can provide. So we have started implementing some AI across the data sets to try and start building up that backward knowledge and try and improve the metrics going forward. But predicting shores, I think that's going to be
0: quite difficult. I think well, you wouldn't have a job if that was... <laughs> no. <laughs> I what I you am. wish for, Jim. Well, being so long in the tooth, I'm probably okay. It's exciting to me to think about kind of technology that would help And agreed, we have to give it a couple of years, but in a couple of years, as it learns and gets smarter, that AI in this business, it becomes predictive or can be predictive, I think, at some point. So it'll be interesting. It'll certainly help. I know one thing we always struggle with as we look at sector shorts, and so you know the four or five names, but there's 25 names in that sector what's next, which is going to go, which is going to be targeted. And that's something AI can probably help with, you know, short of having three or four analysts doing the work like a hedge fund might, where we sit and look and just, we want to capture that value as soon as possible for our clients and for ourselves. I think it's exciting. I'm glad to hear you're doing that. Let's know if I can help with any of the data analysis on the backside of it, looking at it and saying what it means. I don't know. I'm starting to get excited about AI. I guess I'm late to that party, but...
1: Sounds yeah. like Jim's offering his vast experience and knowledge as one of the input resources to the AI model. No. You
0: know. <laughs> reviewing the output, reviewing the output is more like it. Helping make sense of the output would be fun.
1: All right. Well, Mr. Chessum, any other parting words for us and recapping whether it be last year or maybe more interestingly where we're all headed? I asked Jim and Peter this last week, and I got some snarky answers i think the only one that took me serious was that uh, well i guess peter sort of did was mike brooks but what are you most looking forward to this year
2: seeing jim's cowboy boots i think <laughs> <laughs> and
0: there's
1: the snark i love it uh,
0: love i feel it. like i was just set up with that i will i want I will some pictures want from me. that nashville conference jim uh-huh. I, can imagine. I will send you i'll send you pictures i'm hoping to have the cowboy boots before we go and i'll bring them down there but i will we could always pray. go
1: just shop for them in nashville
0: Yeah, if I can't find a pair I like here in Boston, which is probably highly likely, we will have to shop down in Nashville.
1: Okay, all right. Okay, well, we'll do that. I loved in December when Jim podcasted with his best holiday blazer your reply on linkedin so i do really appreciate what jim completely with? blew
2: me
0: out of the water he had matching trousers that wasn't even I, something i'd even considered to be honest <laughs> they look very similar i would guess probably the same brand <laughs> it did actually
1: it did look very on brand to one okay. another but we appreciate your listening loyalty matt definitely
2: Next Christmas, Jim and I are going out. You're more than welcome to join us for a here. I,
0: absolutely. I'll bring that suit over to London. No problem.
1: <laughs> Amazing. All right. Okay. Well, listeners, thank you again. As always, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Thanks, Jim.
0: Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks for tuning in. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Let us know what you think. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer.
0: This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information.
1: Thanks for listening.